All right, thank you, Lord. Surely the presence of the Lord is here, amen? If you didn't feel it, you you can also choose to believe by faith. Sometimes we go, man, it looks like somebody else is really receiving from God. And then, you know, I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm not feeling anything. Well, that's the moment where you say, I'm just going to exercise faith and go, you know what, Lord, I know you're here. Whether I feel you or not. I pray you can, but there's sometimes where it's just you're, you're saying, by faith, I'm believing God's here. And so I'm going to declare things. I'm going to pray things. I'm going to say things. I'm going to, I'm going to believe things because I'm just going to do it by faith. Doesn't matter what my feelings are. That was, I think that's a big revelation that, that uh, Bill Johnson gave us on our Wednesday night study. Was he said, you know what, our you know our world and especially our culture in the United States, we basically do everything with feelings first. You know, we wait for it to feel good, and then we're like, okay, that's that's what I'm going to be a part of. And he said, look, in the kingdom, it's different. You act by faith first and you step out into truth. You do what you're supposed to do. You do what you know is the truth. And then the feelings follow afterwards. Maybe. I, I threw in the maybe. I don't Because I don't think it always has to have the feelings there. Sometimes there's just the faith. You exercise the faith and you see the result of, okay, God, you did something. And I didn't feel anything. Have you ever had that happen? You've prayed and you're like, oh, that didn't do anything. <laughs> And then, boom, God actually did something. See, it's not your feelings that moves heaven. I mean, God wants your feelings engaged. That's, your emotions are part of your soul. So He wants your soul filled with your spirit, filled with His Holy Spirit, so it can operate like it's supposed to. So your emotions operate like they're supposed to. But God says He doesn't have to have that. <laughs> it's never emotion that moves God. It's never emotion. What moves God is faith. Trusting in Him. That's what moves God. Smith Wigglesworth, if you're not familiar with him, saw all kinds of miracles, great father of the faith. Uh, he, always, he always used to say this, and you can disagree with it if you want, but I, I think it's probably true, and I'm just going to take his word for it as a man of God who was really counted faithful in the Word and counted faithful in the Spirit. Was He said, if God's not moving, then I'll move God. And how did he move God? He said he moved God with his faith. In other words, he wasn't really saying, I'm going to make God do something. We understand that. He was just saying, if if I don't see God doing something, I need to exercise faith and step out and say, God, I'm going to believe that you're going to do something. I'm going to believe you're going to do what you said you will do, whether I feel it or not. We've got to quit waiting for us to feel like we want to do something. That's kind of the mess we're in in our country. We, we want everybody to feel good. <laughs> right? We want to just make accommodations for everybody. And, you know, it's all about how people feel. People get to express how they feel on social media. They can express themselves all over the Internet now. And so it's all about how you feel. So God says, hey, let's, you start with me. You start with me first. Then you walk in faith. You walk in how you're supposed to walk. And then you'll see, you'll start feeling the right things. You might even find your emotions change. The more you walk with God, your emotions might change. They're going to be less fleshly and more spiritual. What do I know about emotions? I'm a man, right? So, <laughs> If you're hard, you're going to become more soft. If you're 
If your emotions just get away from you and take control of you, you're going to have, you're going to have self-control by the Spirit. So that's not the message today, but that's free. So let's, I want to open our, your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in a familiar place uh, with Pentecost Sunday, and we're going to end in a different place. So we're going to start in Acts 2. I want us to just relay the foundation. I think it's good to always read this scripture, at least most Pentecost Sundays. Pentecost Sunday, as my wife opened the service with, is... Uh, generally celebrated 50 days after Easter, and they count the one, the, so it's seven Sundays after Easter. Now, there, is, there are two calendars that are at work. So if you hear somebody say, according to the Jewish calendar, today is not Pentecost Sunday, they are correct. So there's an Eastern and a Western calendar now, and so right now we're just on the Western ones, and so I'm not sure that... I'm not here to argue whether one is better than the other. Uh, you'll notice, did anybody notice that like Passover is diff, was diff, way different than Easter this year? That's because of that. That Easter is set no longer with the moons like it was in the Old Testament with the Passover. Uh, it's, the church took that over with Constantine and began to change that, and that's when those types of things began to change. Totally informational, just so you understand. So... You know, you can go to an Eastern Orthodox church and they would, they would celebrate um, Pentecost on, in June 19th or something like that, I think. Because that would be the seven weeks after the Passover. So, just FYI. So here, this is Acts chapter 2. This is, this is the celebration, the feast, uh, called the Feast of, of Weeks. And it would have been 50 days um, after Passover. So it was also 50 days after Jesus... Uh, was was crucified and killed and rose again on that Sunday. So it was seven Sundays uh, after that, most likely, that uh, this is the the day of Pentecost. And on that day, what happened was there was this was a pilgrimage feast. And so for the Jewish people, uh, this was one of the times of the year where they were required to gather in from all over the place and come to Jerusalem. So anyone who was Jewish or had come into the Jewish faith was was here on that in Jerusalem on that day if they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. So that's why it says there are all kinds of people from all over different languages and different cultures and different places because the faith of the Jews had spread beyond just the Jews at this point. There were God-fearing uh, Jews who were actually uh, you know outside of the Jewish heritage. And so that's what's happening right here. And so on that feast... God changes up the feast. <laughs> he changes it up. It was no longer about the new, new harvest coming in, because that's what the celebration was before, was the feast of, of the harvest. Uh, this was a new, new type of harvest going on. This is, this is the feast that, of Pentecost now that, that brings in the harvest. So, let's open our Bibles, Acts chapter 2. I know it's familiar to you. If you've been in a Pentecostal church, Spirit-filled church a while, you've surely heard this scripture Several times for me as well. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 5, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews. There's the God-fearing Jews. That's what they're talking about. Those who've been converted to Judaism who are practicing the faith of the Jews, even though they were not technically from that bloodline. From every nation under heaven. Isn't that pretty amazing? I mean, there may have been just a few. You know, it doesn't mean there was a whole crew, but there was at least one from every nation that was in the known world at that time. When they heard this sound, must have been pretty loud because they were inside a room upstairs somewhere. When, the, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language. And here's everybody that was here. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Somehow, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then what happens is Peter gets up and says, I'm going to summarize this part for you. He says, no, this is, we haven't had too much wine. This is what God promised in the prophet Joel. In Joel chapter 2, it says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants or maids, you know, Bond servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So he says, look, this is the fulfillment of what God has been saying. And those of us that have know what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, that's, that's what this is. The baptism of the Spirit has come. And they were released into power. What was the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Where well, you have to go to Acts 1.8 and it says this. Jesus said to the disciples, you know, wait. Hey, wait until uh, you receive What's what I want? I want you to stay here in Jerusalem till you receive. You'll be baptized with the Spirit in verse 8, Acts 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the purpose, what's the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? To be witnesses. To receive power in order to be witnesses. What's a witness? I heard somebody say something. Somebody that sees something. That's all a witness is. You know, when you think, man, I've got to be a witness for, for Jesus. What does that mean? You have to tell what you've seen and experienced. You'll receive power so that you can be a witness. The two, the two go together. Because when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you see things. You see God do stuff. You know, it was, it was great. We got to tell the testimony of baby Josie. I got, I've, I've told that to a whole lot of people, Greg. And if, you, if you're not aware of that, a relative of Greg's in, in his sister's family uh, had a baby that was in the womb and was diagnosed with water on the brain, with Turner syndrome, Down syndrome, 
had a gigantic head in the sonogram, correct? Am I make, I'm saying this all correct. Uh, we prayed, they prayed, they went and laid hands and prayed. She, the mother was praying, and they went back to the doctor, totally healthy. The baby was totally restored. The doctor was surprised. The doctor was surprised. Says, I know there's something wrong with this baby, and the baby was totally healthy. You'll receive power, and then you'll be a witness. There's something God did. I'm a, you know, Greg and Josie are witnesses. They actually saw the sonogram. They're, they're witnesses for Jesus now. That's what it means to be a witness. And so that's why God says, look, you need the power so that you can be a witness because you need to keep witnessing things so you have something to share as a witness. God never intended us to have to come up with something to say. I mean, there's some seasons of our life, we have to be honest, where we're like, man, God, what's going on? I don't, I don't see things going on. What's the solution to that? Being full of the Spirit. He says, this is my provision for you to be a witness. You don't have to try harder. You don't have to get a plan together. You don't, you know, you're going to receive the power that gives you, you know, the ability to see things happen in your own life and in the, and in the body of Christ around you. But it also gives you the power to be able to speak it out because you need boldness. You need, you need something beyond yourself sometimes to say, I want to I share that. Don't we need that? Do you need more boldness? Who needs more boldness here? Okay. I'll take some more boldness. Where does that boldness come from? The filling of the Spirit. So it's not about trying to work ourselves up to be better witnesses for Jesus. I mean, we've heard messages like that before, right? You need to share your faith with someone. And you get guilted into doing it, so you do it by guilt. And you're like, oh gosh, I've got to do that this week. They preach the message on Sunday, and then, you know, and hey, how about this? You go do it this week, and I'm going to ask you next week. Who did you talk to, Terry? <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh man. Right? I mean, we get, you know, is that the right motivation to be a witness? No. I, we don't want to be guilt-ridden, fearful witnesses. And that's why, what, what is, what's the solution? What's the provision? The filling of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and fill me. John seven thirty eight and 39. We have that, I think I have that scripture. Jesus promised the Spirit and said, this is what's going to happen. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from it within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So the Spirit is compared to a river, river's Plural of living water. So that's a picture of the filling of the Spirit in our lives. And so, um, as, as people of God, as Spirit-filled people of God, we have to continue to go back to the source if we are lacking power, if we are lacking boldness, if we are lacking a reason to witness. You know, if you have, when you have something to share, you don't need a reason to be a witness because you've seen something. So you're like, man, let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about what happened. You know, it's, it's not about, let me try to come up with a cool phrase where I can, you know, speak to someone. Now, there's, there's times to do intentional evangelism and all that. Uh, John on Wednesday, wasn't that awesome? For those of you who were here, John talked and he, he, said, he said, this is a tool they were using in, in Colombia. <coughs> And they asked this question in Spanish, and I won't try to do it. (laughs) 
He said it, and I did understand it, Saul. He said it, and I'm like, oh, I, I understand what you're saying. But they go up to people and they ask, if God can do one miracle in your life today, what would, what would it be? If God could do one miracle in your life today, what would it be? And so you go, they go and ask that people that question. So it's a way to break the ice, and here's the deal. It puts all the pressure on God, not that he feels it. <laughs> right? Because you're saying, what could God do for you today? And then you can say, well, I'm going to just pray with you. You can go where, wherever it leads. At that point, you, you, you say, you know, can I pray for you right now? If they say no, you say, can I pray for you later? <laughs> if they turn you down right there, just say, can I pray for you when I get home? <laughs> if they say no after that, they, you say, God bless you. Thank you for sharing that with me. I, I bet you if they share it, they'll ask for prayer. They might not answer the question. So there's times to be intentional. But what's going to happen right there is, you know, we're believing for the power so that you witness something and they witness something in their lives. Because they're going to ask for something from God that only God can do. When they see that happen in their life, you think they're going to remember that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Jesus says, hey, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to receive power. And we have to, we have to continually be filled. Ephesians 5.18 says, be being filled with the Spirit. I don't have that scripture up there. Be being filled with the Spirit. So we have to continually ask the Lord, I want to be full of the Spirit. I've heard people say we leak. I don't know if that's really true. I think it's more an awareness issue, kind of like that song says. I don't think we're ever less full of the Spirit. But there's sometimes where we don't feel like we are. And so then again, what are we doing? Our feelings are dictating rather than the Spirit dictating. Rather than truth dictating. Rather than what we know to be true in the Word to be dictating. So I let my feelings, I'm like, man, I don't feel really full of God today. Well, who's in charge then? Your emotions. The Holy Spirit's not in charge. That's, that's your emotions. And so we have to say, it's not necessarily about whether I feel full. If I've been filled with the Spirit, I can say, God, make me more aware of your presence. Because I know you're already in me. I know you're with me. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'm going to be with you. So God, wherever you are, God shows up. We don't have to ask God to show up. And I know, we, it's, I think it's okay for us to pray that prayer. Because God knows what we mean when we say, oh God, please come here. Like, hey... He's like, I'm already here. <laughs> but thank you for inviting me to do something. And we did a survey as a church, uh, and of our core members, it was at our annual meeting, I shared this before, I think, but 98% of our ch church family at this point, of our core members, has already been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, there may be a few here today that... Uh, that are not. Uh, I'm not totally sure about everybody here. Uh, I haven't asked everybody personally that's in this room right now. But there's a good percentage of us that have already been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so today, if you, if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, then I, I want to give you an opportunity once I'm done speaking to get with some of our leaders, some of our elders, and they will pray with you, and we're, we're going to believe that you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit today. But if you've already been baptized in the Holy Spirit... Then I want us, Then we're going to go one more step further here. Let's go to Genesis 26. Okay? Turn your Bible to Genesis. I know everybody knows where Genesis is in the Bible, right? 
one of the easiest books to find. Genesis and Revelation. You know, it's on each end. So Genesis chapter 26. I want to set the, set the stage here for you. This is, this is the, the, the account of Isaac and his dad, his father, Abraham, has, has already died, has just died. And so Isaac is, of course, the promised child uh, of Abraham that was miraculously conceived by God. So he's a, he's, a, he's a miracle baby and he's a miracle man. He grew up as a miracle baby and a miracle, he was a miracle teenager. You know, when, when Abraham tied him to the altar to sacrifice him and God said, you know, that's enough and, and said, I wanted, to, I wanted to test your heart, Abraham, to see if you were willing to love me more than you loved what I gave you. That was a good one right there. Free message. Do I love God more than the stuff he gives me? Do I love him first? Or does he have to do something for me first and then I love him? So Abraham was willing to sacrifice his most precious gift from God for God. So, but Abraham has the promise. Of course, his promise is you'll you'll get this land. They had a promised land and they had a promised inheritance of children. In other words, you're going to have a family that's going to bless bless the nations. And so what happens in the first part of chapter 26 is God comes to Isaac and he renews that covenant, that promise. He comes and says, hey, I'm with you just like, you know, I was with your father Abraham and see all this land, I'm going to give it to you as well. This is going to be yours and your descendants as well. So he kind of brings it up, he reminds Isaac of what's already been done for him, what's already been provided for him and says, you you know, you take this land. They, They were nomadic at this time. It says, you know, hey, as you walk through the land, as you, as you travel. So they, they would travel and stay at different places. You can think of it as like nomadic tribes. And so there was a lot of, you know, having land to yourself was a, was a unique promise. It wasn't expected. In other words, you know, this is going to be your land, you know, because there was always people moving in and out, other tribes and groups of people trying to come in and get to the best spot, you know, get to the place where there was the food or the water or the provision, uh, whatever it might be. And so, and we know that the promised land was a great land. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. At that time, that meant this is a great place to live. <laughs> That's what it was. Hey, this is a great place to live. That uh, you're going to be blessed. You're going to have everything you need to take care of you. But I want us to go to verse 12. So that's the context. God appears to Abraham, and then or Isaac, excuse me. And then Isaac does the same thing that his father did. He comes to the land. He comes back to the land. Because God said, hey, don't go to Egypt. Don't go somewhere else. Go to the land I promised you. And he gets there and he's afraid of the people that are there. And he sa- he, his wife, Rebecca, if, if you've read your Bible about Abraham, you'll recognize this. He says, hey, when we get to the land, just pretend you're my sister. <laughs> and you're like, if you remember your Bibles, right? Abraham did that twice. Where he lied about his wife and said, no, she's my sister. Because uh, he was afraid. They were both afraid that their wife was going to get taken away. I don't know what, what it meant if you just said she's your sister. Like, so now they're not going to try? I don't know. But the, for some reason, you know, if you don't deal with something in one generation, it'll show up in the next generation. If you notice something, hey, my parents had this and I have this. Hey, it doesn't mean you needed to go through this big old ritual. You need to address that thing. And say, it stops here. 
So Isaac had, Isaac had not addressed that thing yet, but there's things in our lives where we need to address them and say, you know what, this stops right here. It's not going to happen in my kids. I break that thing in Jesus' name. So you can do that because you have authority from Jesus. So that's what happens. And so then, you know, someone sees him with his sister and says, you're not doing something. It looks like she's not your sister, bro. Um, you don't do those types of, you know, kissing with your sister or whatever they saw. And so he says, no, okay, no, she is my wife. And so the kind of the ruler of that area said, okay, nobody touched this guy. So he got favor. It, it's weird. Both Abraham and Isaac, isn't it interesting? They, they lied and they sinned and they failed, but they still had the favor of God. Like when they messed up, like the other person had to pay. It's a, it's a great picture of grace. The grace and favor of God is not based on my performance. It's based on my identity. The blessing of God on Isaac was not based on his performance. It was based on his identity. He was the son of Abraham. And so he was the son of the promise. And so God says, you have my favor. We're sons and daughters too, huh? Just a reminder. (laughs) That one's free too. Um, Verse 12. Let's get to where we're trying to go here. Preacher, come on now. Is that what we say when we say, come on now? You're actually saying, hurry up and finish, right? (laughs) I didn't know if that's what we were saying when Gary was saying that. Okay, verse 12. Isaac planted crops in that land, so he's settling himself in the land, and the same year, look at this, reaped a hundredfold. Okay, you understand that's not normal, right? I don't know much about farming, but this was not the way it was supposed to happen. He got a huge return. Why did he get that? Because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. God is blessing him. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So the other people that were were controlling the land are like, this guy is going crazy with the stuff that he has, with the blessing. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Move away from us, you've become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. So this is the part I want us to notice right here, is there's wells that were dug. I mean, we have to understand, this is just practical at this time. They had to have water. So how did you get water when you were in the land? You You dig, you dig. And when, once you dug a well, that was your, your watering hole. It wasn't like, you know, this wasn't, you know, Midland water system. This was like, this is Abraham family water system. And so they had that well. And so all these wells that Abraham had during his life, he had been using them. But once Abraham died, we get the picture that Isaac and their family, they kind of moved away from that area and they let it get taken over. That's why God had to come back and renew the promise and say, hey, 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 hello. No, this is your land. This is not their land. This is, your, this is my promise to you. 
So go ahead and go for it. So Isaac comes back to the same wells that had already been covered over, and he redigs them. And I find it interesting, he gave them the same name as his father Abraham gave. I don't know if there's significance there, but it's just interesting. In other words, there's, he said, I'm going to call this the same thing. Then there's some battles after this over different wells and new wells, and I'm not going to go into that this morning. But here, here's, this is an illustration. I wanted to use this passage kind of as an illustration. Many of us have been baptized in the Holy Spirit for many years. But we sometimes allow the well to get covered up. And we have to go back to that well and redig it and make sure it's uncovered. I mentioned our church survey and lost track of my thought, obviously, but I want to mention it now. When we took the survey, we were many of us were baptized in the Holy Spirit. But less than half of us who are baptized in the Holy Spirit pray in the Spirit more than five minutes per day. We're not using the well. We're not drawing from the well of the Spirit. And so my encouragement to you is, is there a well that you need to uncover? It, there's many reasons. In this, in this account... An enemy covered it up. But it, the enemy was able to cover it up. Why? Because they stopped using the well. When you stop using a well, it can allow itself to be covered up. And so I don't know if it works like that in the Spirit, but you know, I know some people, when, you, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit the first time, you're full! And you're, you're drawn from the well. But sometimes we just forget to go back to that well. So if that's you, my encouragement to you is allow the well to be uncovered. Sometimes our wells get covered just by life and circumstances and hurt and all that kind of stuff. And so we, we don't, we don't want to go to that. We don't know if we can go to that well. Some of it, you know, we believe lies. The well's not there anymore. I don't belong there anymore. If you believe a lie that you don't belong to access the power and the fullness of the Spirit, then you won't go there. If you don't think you're worthy. But God said, look, no, Isaac, you're a son. You're the child of the promise. And so you can go into this well. And we need to believe the same thing as the children of God. The well of the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit, has been given to us as sons and daughters of the King. We need to use the well. So I encourage you, if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you feel like there hasn't been much operating, and I'm not just talking about tongues, but that's, you know, you get the gift of tongues, I believe. The gift of, the gift of tongues in terms of a prayer language is for everybody. Uh, use it. It's just my reminder. Go ahead and use that well. Go ahead and dig into that well. Sometimes when you dig into the well further, what happens? You find more water. When you dig in there deeper, you'll find something fresh. Something fresh is going to come into your life when you go back to that well. You know, it's not that we need something new. We just need to access what God has already given us. Sometimes we're always asking, you know, and God does new things. I'm not saying that. But there's sometimes we just need to, let's access the well that he's already said, this is going to be a well. You're going to receive power and you're going to be my witnesses. 
you're going to, you're going to, it's going to happen. You're going to receive this and it's going to be the Holy Spirit. You know, it's so amazing. The thing I noticed when I read Acts 2 this time was just the word everyone. You know, in the Old Testament, and I think that would have got their attention. In the Old Testament, it was always just a few people, a few special people who got to be filled or have the Holy Spirit come upon them. And even when, you know, when Jesus came, it's like, hey, there's Jesus. But Pentecost changed everything because on the day of Pentecost, every single one was filled. So there were no exceptions. And that's what the prophecy means. That's what Joel 2 means. Hey, sons and daughters, men and women, old men, young men, servants, you know, manservants and female servants. In other words, it doesn't matter your standing in society. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter whether you're old or young. Everyone, this promise is for everyone. We can throw in, it doesn't matter your race. Demonstrated by Acts 2 that day. What happened after Peter preached the sermon? 3,000 of them received the promise. They received the promise of salvation, and I believe they received the promise of the filling of the Spirit at that time as well. That there are 3,000 that came in and experienced that from every nation on earth at that time, every known nation on earth. So it's for everybody. You know, that would have blew their minds. That would have really blown their minds. We, we kind of expect, yeah, we, we have a, a theology that says, yeah, everybody should get something from God, you know, individualism. But back then it was like, hey, it's for a few special people. When all 120 were filled, they knew the game had changed. They knew everything was different now. They knew the representation. When the fire and the wind came, they knew that was the representation of the presence of God. And when the fire rested on each and every one of them over their heads... That was a sign that, hey, the presence of God is for everyone now. It's not just for a few special people. But I encourage you, redig the well. If your well is dry, there may be some dirt there that you need to uncover. Let the Holy Spirit uncover the dirt and the stuff that's in the way so you can live the fullness that He has promised you. We need to be full of the Spirit. That's what our nation needs right now. That's what the people need. They don't need another argument. I mean, we're not gonna, I mean, we're arguing about bathrooms now. (laughs) I mean, and again, we all have an opinion about that, I'm sure. But look, let's not get dragged into an argument. It doesn't matter if we win that argument. It doesn't matter. What matters is if I can be a witness For Jesus, when I am a witness of what He's doing, I'm able to be a witness to someone else, we won't be worrying about bathrooms. We'll be worrying about something a little bit more important. There's going to be people need to be touched on a level of spirituality, and we're arguing on a level of carnality. The enemy is bringing us down to His level. To fight on his turf. And again, I'm not stating my opinion anywhere on that. I'm just saying, let's, let's not get dragged into stuff. Right now, that's what we're being encouraged as believers to get dragged down to a level where we don't need to be fighting. We need to be who we're called to be and be and do what God has called us to do. 
When we do that, things will change. When a bunch of people start doing that, or maybe just a few, things begin to change slowly, one by one by one. And maybe every once in a while there will be a 3,000 boom explosion like there was on the day of Pentecost. But it's only going to happen if I'm full. It's only going to happen if I'm full each and every day. And I'm still not. I'm still not. But there, there is a little bit of intentionality about going to the well, asking the Spirit, praying in the Spirit. If God is giving you that gift, you have to use that gift. You have to access that well or it becomes dry. Is your life dry? If you're a Spirit-filled believer, I would ask you, how often have, are you praying in the Spirit? Try it. Again, the argument is, I just don't feel like it. <laughs> well, congratulations. As I say to my kids, congratulations, world's best cup of coffee. <laughs> you know, we can't wait for the feelings anymore. There's too many hurting people that need me not to rely on whether I feel like it or not. They need me to act on faith and get in the well of the Spirit. So, here's how I want us to respond. Can I have the elders just kind of be in the back here? Ron and Carlene and Greg and Miss Dorothy. If you want to go to Miss Dorothy, she'll be right there. <laughs> you don't have to move at all. But if you just... Tommy and Cam, can you pray too? If you need prayer, get prayer first and then start praying for people. You're always free to pray for each other too. It's not like because you're praying for someone. Just, I don't know where you're at. If there's anybody in here that has not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, look, this is your day today. Right, right today is the day. God's here. We're, we're going to believe by faith. These people that are praying for you are going to believe by faith that today is the day for you. And if you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit... And you're like, I just need, I need the well uncovered. I need to have something dirt moved off. I, want to, I need to have something uncorked in my life. Then have them pray for you as well. If you want to pray for one another, whatever. But let's, let's, just, let's just invite the Holy Spirit. He's here. We're just inviting Him to come and move in our hearts. If you need prayer, just go to one of those people. We're just going to take a few minutes. It doesn't have to take a long time. So Lord, we, we just invite you, Holy Spirit to come and move among us today, God. We, we, don't even, we don't want to define what that looks like. We don't want to say it has to be this or that. We just want, we want a touch from heaven today, God. We want to, we want to see uh, people released into freedom, God. If we need a freshness upon our witness, God, we ask for a fresh uh, anointing, a fresh spirit filling in us so that we are your witnesses, God. We don't have to force anything. Lord, if we're just dry, our life is dry, we just ask for a refreshing right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. If that's you, go ahead and just begin to move to the back and, uh, and get prayer today. If you need that for the first time, you need a refreshment, you need an uncovering of your well, go ahead and begin to move. Thank you, Lord. The rest of us are just going to pray and wherever we're at, we're just going to believe for the Lord to to touch lives. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place, oh God. If you need prayer for healing, go ahead. You can get prayer for healing as well. We're believing for healing all the time in our bodies. So if you need need a touch from God in your physical body, thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence, God. We're inviting you.
come and have your way. We welcome you here. To do as you please. Jesus, we thank you, God.